Man. Just when I thought we'd caught a lucky break, we get the rug pulled out from under us. Would you rather the Dashwoods be dead and all of us captured by raiders? Stop complaining. I hope they're alright. We made sure the raiders saw us, so hopefully they left the Dashwoods alone. Fingers crossed, kid. Dave, how you holding up? <sighs> Hello. And I feel you there. Well, uh, I'm gonna try and get a fire going. No fires, ghoul. We'll only alert them to our position. Man, this sucks. Well, I was going to give this to you earlier, but with the raiders showing up, it didn't seem appropriate. Here you go, Crispy. A present? What's this for? Happy Ghoul's Day! Ghoul's Day? Yeah, it was this day over 200 years ago that Crispy became a ghoul. Happy Ghoul's Day, Crispy. Thanks, kid, but... Go on, open it. Well... All right. Oh, it's, uh, uh, what is this? It's a hand crank battery pack for your recorder. All you have to do is plug it into your recorder and crank it whenever you need to charge it. Now you won't have to worry about scavenging for batteries out in the wasteland. Wow. Thanks, kid. This is great. <clears throat> Jonathan, could you scout the perimeter? Oh, sure thing. I'll be back in a bit. Ghoul's Day? Really? I know you're a compulsive liar, but even to him? Hey, don't give me that look. I don't lie compulsively. I just stretch the truth. A lot. But I didn't lie. This is right around the time that I turned into a ghoul about 200 years ago. Oh? And how did this Ghoul's Day come to be, hmm? Listen, a little white lie told as a harmless joke isn't anything to be worried about. I just wanted half of a snack cake he found, so I brought up Ghoul's Day. You're a devious little worm. Uh, sorry, but I can't see in the dark. It's cloudy out too, so I can't spot by moonlight. From what I did see, we seem to be alone... Uh, should Dave be chewing on that? Huh? Dave, stop chewing on that can. Let me open it first. <laughs> Hello. Oh, hush. Here, enjoy your... chili? There's no label. I can't tell what this is. Hello. Let's see what else we got in here. Ooh, Fancy Lad Snack Cake. My favorite. Uh, here you go, Johnny. Happy Ghoul's Day. Hey, thanks! Don't mention it. Atlas, want anything? I brought my own. What is that? Dry-aged Brahmin Hotch. I can subsist off this for days. And no, I'm not going to share. Fine with me. And beans for me tonight. All right. Well, while we're eating... Atlas, you traveled with super mutants for a long time, and I'm sure you've seen a lot in the waste, right? Mm, yes. I have seen many places and people. Mind you, most places I saw ended up raised, and the people were torn limb from limb, but yes, I have seen much of the wastes. Why? Super mutants are a demographic that I haven't really gotten to explore. Aside from running away from and being shot at by them, that's beside the point. 
When I'm traveling, I like finding weird and unexplainable stories. So, do you have any stories along those lines? I don't buy into superstition or the paranormal, but there is something I can't explain. When I was still an officer in Macklin's army, the brutes that made up the bulk of his army used to tell stories about the crawling light. Ooh, go on. Back when we were still in Montana, skirmishing with Caesar's Legion, we- Sorry to interrupt, but who? Caesar's Legion. They're unimportant to this story. Just a faction from Colorado. They were too big for Macklin's army to risk large-scale warfare with at the time, so we skirted their territory as best we could. Now, stop talking and listen! Anyway, when we passed through Montana, some of our infantry started to come up missing. The few survivors intelligent enough to speak spoke of a crawling light. It was said to shine in many different colors, but always red when it found prey. We searched for a few hours, but saw nothing of the sort, so we assumed it was simply some radioactive predator or a robot and continued in the morning. We traveled through northern Montana for a few months, assaulting and capturing small bands of travelers or minor settlements we came across. All the while, we continued to lose infantry, and all the survivors would report seeing a crawling light dragging the victims away. Eventually, while I was given a small contingent of advanced scouts, we discovered a caravan. Rather than simply attack and kill them, we captured the caravan. I took the humans aside and interrogated them. After gaining knowledge on the surrounding area, I asked them about the light. They knew what I was talking about, though they had conflicting stories. Some claimed the light was a ghost or an alien. One claimed the crawling light protected and guided travelers, while another claimed it haunted travelers. Only the leader of the caravan gave me any leads. The leader claimed that the light had been around since before he was born, but his father had seen the arrival of the light. The human leader claimed that 80 years ago, something fell from the sky, and his father went to investigate. Upon arriving at the landing site, his father and some other humans found a crater, and in that crater was a large, glowing rock. The rock cracked open, and from it, something crawled out. Whatever crawled out was glowing, shifting from color to color before settling on a blood-red light. This light seemed to crawl up out of the crater and chase the humans, killing all but the caravan leader's father, who fled across the river. The crawling light stopped at the water and returned to shifting through colors. After letting my contingency eat the travelers, we- Jesus Christ, Atlas, are you serious? Don't interrupt! <clears throat> so, my contingency of super mutants and I traveled to the site of this crater. By the time we arrived, 
The sun had already set. We could see a light that was shifting through a whole range of colors coming from the crater. Upon reaching the crater ourselves, we saw the source was a large stone of some sort in the center. I sent one of the mutants down to investigate. As the mutant approached, the light changed. The light began to seep from the rock like a highly viscous fluid, and it crawled across the ground towards the super mutant I'd sent in. The mutant panicked and attempted to shoot the crawling light, but the bullets had no effect. The light turned blood red and dashed toward the mutant, who then turned around and climbed out of the crater. The super mutant managed to escape the crater, but the light was too fast. It descended upon the mutant, whose screams were muffled into choking gasps. At this point, we fled. We didn't return until morning, well after the sun had risen. The crawling light was nowhere to be seen, but the mutant's body remained. The mutant's body was shriveled and ashen. When one of my other mutants in my group touched the corpse, it fell apart like ash and blew into the wind. We returned to Macklin and after many hours of explaining, I managed to convince him to move us out of Montana quicker. To this day, I still don't know what that thing was, and I have no need to clarify it. Ooh, man, you got my skin crawling. Pun not intended, but accepted. That was fascinating. Do you think it really fell from outer space? I don't know and don't care. I just know I never want to see it again. This is unrelated, but ghoul. What is that on your face? What? Are you talking about my traveling nose? Traveling nose? <laughs> what? Man, I don't have a real nose. My sinuses are exposed almost all the time. Do you know what it's like having exposed sinuses? It's awful. So when I'm on the road, I wear my traveling nose so I don't get constant infections. It's practical, fashionable, and easy to make. So shut up. Yet another weakness you've exposed to the world. Whatever. So Johnny, we heard Atlas' story. Do you have anything like that in your repertoire? You know, I do have a story like that. It won't be better than mine. It was during my trip to the Commonwealth. Don't ignore me! Atlas, shut up. Are you trying to leave Cutler right to us? Don't interrupt. It's rude. Go ahead, Johnny. Thanks, Crispy. Anyway, I had just passed the border into the Olan Wastes. Ohio? How horrible! Sorry, couldn't resist. I'll shut up now. <clears throat> so I was in Ohio and found a large library. Obviously, I entered and began searching for anything useful. I spent a few days there before I found a collection of newspaper articles from before the war. While reading through the articles, I found exactly what I was hoping for. I found articles about a local man named Dr. Alexander Whitman. Dr. Whitman was an accomplished roboticist who had worked for General Atomics for over 50 years before retiring. While working for General Atomics, Dr. Whitman had a mansion built near his hometown of Chester, Ohio. And that's where he spent his retirement, until the bombs dropped. I followed a map to Chester and found a small settlement in the ruins of an already small town. While I was there, 
I resupplied and repaired the iBots I had taken with me. After making my preparations, I began asking the locals about the mansion. Anytime I brought up the mansion, no matter who I was talking to, they would immediately stop talking and walk away. It got to the point where all the adults ignored my questions. I was about to just walk out there anyway when I was stopped by a group of children. The children told me that they play outside the mansion, even though their parents forbid them from doing so. Some of the older kids would even dare each other to go inside, but nobody ever went past the front door. The kids also told me they'd sometimes see the shape of somebody in the windows, just looking outside before walking away and appearing at another window on the opposite end of the house. When I finally saw the mansion, I could immediately tell there was no way to move from the window in the bottom corner to the top corner in only a matter of seconds. They led me and my iBots to the mansion, and I must say, it was quite impressive. Clearly the mansion had seen better days. Many of the windows were broken, siding had fallen off in patches, and the paint had peeled from centuries of abuse and neglect. Despite that, it still stood strong. I made my way up the steps to the front door, prepared my laser rifle, had my iBots set to sentry mode, and kicked in the door. Well, I actually opened the door first, and then kicked it in. I'm not that strong. Uh, so I entered the house and started to move from room to room, searching for any signs of life. Oddly enough, there was nothing in there. No feral ghouls, no rad roaches, nothing. What's more, the whole place was relatively clean, almost as if nothing had been inside since before the bombs dropped. After clearing every room, I made my way to the basement where I found Dr. Whitman's workshop. There wasn't a lot down there. A computer, a few filing cabinets, a workbench, and three Mr. Handys, two sitting on charging platforms and a third partially dismantled on the workbench. I inspected the Mr. Handy on the bench, and what I found was unusual. To begin, the Mr. Handy looked as if it had been beaten with a heavy blunt object. When I looked inside, while it was damaged, everything was in order save for one exception. The voice module. It hadn't been damaged or knocked out. It had been removed professionally. After finishing observing the broken Mr. Handy, I turned to the other two. The Mr. Handys were linked to the workshop's computer. So after I booted it up, I made sure they wouldn't attack me and had them start their routines. They activated without issue and made their way upstairs. I followed them to observe, and found them tidying up the mansion. While I was observing them, I got curious and decided to test their voice modules by running through a simple vocal test. When I started the test, the Mr. Handy speaker started emitting static and feedback, no matter what prompts I gave it. I've seen it before. Some roboticists don't like it when their robots can speak, so it wasn't that unusual. I let the Mr. Handy continue its work and returned to the basement. I went through the computer's notes, but they'd been corrupted, so I turned to the filing cabinet. Inside was a large collection of handwritten notes, presumably made by Dr. Whitman. The earliest notes were interesting looks at Dr. Whitman's experiments with Mr. Handy's, but they'd already been implemented in General Atomics production, so they weren't very helpful. The later notes, however, were more of a journal describing the doctor's attempts at improving the Mr. Handy AI, but they were unusual. The notes started off with brilliant insights regarding the advancements of General Atomics' AI program, but they started to devolve into incoherent rambling about his robots constantly talking. I became so engrossed 
that when my iBoss motion sensor triggered, I jumped. <laughs> One of the Mr. Handys came down the stairs and began to tidy up the basement after giving me another stream of static and feedback. I was about to return to the filing cabinet when the Mr. Handy stopped, turned its eye stalks toward the stairs, and said in a clear, non-inhibited voice, Welcome home, Dr. Whitman. I stood there, trying to figure out how it had managed to speak, when I heard footsteps upstairs. I immediately grabbed my rifle and moved cautiously up the stairs, looking for the source of the footsteps. I made it to the front door, when I heard more footsteps upstairs, and rushed to the room I heard them come from, but it was empty. When I returned to the hallway, one of the doors slammed shut, so I rushed over, heart pounding, and opened the door. The room was empty. I made my way back downstairs to the main floor, ready to dismiss this all as the house settling or breezes or something. I made it to the front door when I heard someone knock. I jumped, but prepared my rifle and slowly, cautiously opened the door and quickly rushed out. There was no one there save for the children that had led me there standing a safe distance away. I walked down the front steps and asked the children if they'd knocked on the door. They stared at me, wide-eyed, and shook their heads. I turned around, ready to walk back inside when I saw the house again. It was different. I could see through the windows into the backyard, and the entire back half of the house was collapsed. What's more, there was no front door, only an empty door frame. I was about to walk back up the stairs when one of the children told me to stop. Don't go back in there, mister. You just stood in the doorway, staring at nothing. It's been two hours. When I went through the logs of my iBots, there were time discrepancies that I couldn't account for. Something about that house rubbed me in the wrong way. I can't explain it. I left and never went back. That? Oh boy. I don't even know where to begin. That's a hell of a story, Johnny. Also, if this was a horror movie, you'd have been so dead. Man, look at this, I'm shaking. <laughs> wow. Purely illogical. There was surely a simple explanation for what you experienced. It could have been- Carbon monoxide poisoning, radiation poisoning, experimental chemicals, dehydration, a brain tumor. I've thought far too long about that house and what I experienced there. I'm tired of carrying this robot. Atlas, please don't be so rough with Bucket. It's just a machine. It'll be fine. Bucket's a part of this team just as much as you, Johnny, and Dave. <sighs> Bucket, activate. Let's see how you're holding up. Activating. Awaiting instructions. I can't feel my legs. Sorry, Bucket. We had to leave your arms and legs behind to make it easier for Atlas to carry you. Any semblance of freedom or free will has been ripped from me. I am a ship with no sail at the mercy of the tide. Don't worry. I'll make sure to replace your limbs when we're no longer on the run from raiders. Maybe I could find a way to mount a Mr. Handy's levitation unit in place of your legs. I definitely need to equip you with weapons as well. Continue to replace more and more of my original components until there is nothing left of me. Modification of this unit is in direct violation of the Robco end-user license agreement. There's no one left to enforce that EULA bucket. Lighten up a bit. Activating lights. Error. Lights disconnected. Yet another failure. No worries, Bucket. I'll fix your lights when I get some time. Another failure. 
another day, another year, another lifetime, yet I still continue to function. I rust, and you clean me. I malfunction, and you fix me. I slow you down, put your lives in danger, and you carry me. Error, code, after error, code, yet I still continue to function. Well, yeah, you're our friend. We're not just going to let you fall apart. We're not going to leave you behind. Crispy is right. Just like a doctor, I'll make sure you continue to function optimally for as long as I can. Illogical. I am a Robco Protectron model of worker drone robots. Ethics Programming Article 1 values human life over robot function. Your insistence on maintaining my functionality increases your chance of injury or death. The robot is right. Besides, it already wants to die, so let's simply destroy its processor and be done with it. Atlas, don't you dare. That isn't necessary, Atlas. Put the rock down. Do it. Crush me, Daddy. I don't want to anymore. Rather than your own misery machine. And once again, a chance to end my functionality slips through my claws. Or it would if I had limbs. Things aren't that bad, Bucket. We've still got each other. And one day, you will die. You will all one day die. I will continue to function, now without limbs. If you were to all die right here, right now, I would be left to rust beneath the sun for decades, perhaps centuries with the solar panels powering my core. I would watch the world continue to crumble, rebuild itself, crumble again, and again, and again, until nothing is left. Yet I would continue to function until my connections to my power core corroded through. Even then, would my processor, my memory banks, these cores of my being, would my sense of self, my soul, be contained within these coffins of metal and plastic and silicon? Would I await, in agony, for a new power source to resume my act of misery? Or would I simply cease to be? Would the destruction of my processor and my memory banks result in my true death? Only my creators may know though they have long since fled their mortal forms. With my components locked away, I would be effectively immortal, awaiting for Earth's sun to go supernova. Perhaps, barring the impossible heat of a dying star, what would truly kill me would be the heat death of the universe. Then would I finally be freed from my physical form, or would I exist as a new entity, destined only for torment? Only time will tell. Multiple errors detected. Critical failure. Uh... He crashed. Can I kill it now? Please? Don't tempt me, Atlas. <sighs> Looks like I've got another long night of debugging coming up. We should decide watch order. Our volunteer for first watch. Sounds good to me. I'll volunteer for second watch. Unless you want it, Crispy. Nah, third watch works just fine for me. Then it's settled. If only Dave weren't worthless, we could add a fourth watch and increase our efficiency. Hello. Come on, don't be so hard on Dave. He's trying his best. 
Didn't he hold you at gunpoint and try to enslave you? Yeah, and he also kicked me in the ghoul wiener. But the past is in the past. Dave's part of the team now. <sighs> Hello. Go ahead and go to bed, Dave. Anyway, I've got a story for all of you before we hit the hay. Yeah? Is it the one about the death claw you single-handedly killed? Or the super mutant behemoth you tricked into fighting its friends? Do you ever tell the truth, ghoul? Hey, the behemoth was mostly luck, and the Deathclaw was just good planning and physics. Now this story is from... Before the War, ooh. Oh, what's it about? Mankind's reliance on technology? The rampant expansion of capitalism driving a metaphorical wedge between the classes? Or the paranoia and mistrust that led to the war and the subsequent downfall of civilization as you knew it, proving the futility of attempting to better yourself in a system designed to allow those in power to exploit and abuse the working class, and the inevitability of societal collapse. Johnny, you've been spending way too much time with Bucket. No, just let me tell the story, kid. <clears throat> So, after graduating college, I started working at a local radio station for several years, before the draft came up for Operation Anchorage. I got rejected for having flat feet. After that, people started calling me a draft dodger. I couldn't stay in town, I pretty much got blacklisted by the locals. I spent the next few years drifting from town to town, state to state, made a lot of connections with people, most of them from less than awful backgrounds, if you get my drift. One time, while I was in Indiana, I started crashing on a couch in someone's house. Still don't know whose house it was. Not important. Either way, I managed to score myself a massive amount of day tripper. Enough to kill a horse three times over. Ghoul, I don't want to hear any of your junkie stories. Those chems rot your mind and ruin your health. The chems aren't the focus of the story. Now for the last time, stop interrupting. Anyway... I ended up getting kicked out of that house I'd been crashing in, so I took my stuff and started walking. I didn't have any real direction, I just went where the wind took me. However, as I'm sure you've seen, the Midwest is a lot of boring-ass plains and other various flatlands. Well, I happened to have a lot of day tripper, and day trip I did. That definitely made the time pass faster, but it wasn't exactly conducive to making a lot of progress when every little flower and big rock pulls your attention away from the road. I don't know how long I spent in the middle of nowhere, but I got used to sleeping under the stars. After a few weeks goes by, it's the middle of the summer, and night starts to fall. It was a particularly hot night, and I was having a hard time getting to sleep. Are you sure it wasn't the drugs keeping you awake? It may have been the drugs, but the heat wasn't helping. So I'm laying there with my pack under my head, coming down off a day tripper bender in the middle of a field at night and unable to sleep. I'm getting ready to say screw it and take another hit at Day Tripper when I notice something weird about the stars. I'd heard the conspiracy theories about black helicopters with no lights. I figured I may have been getting close to a military airbase, or maybe the government was running ops for one reason or another. But then I noticed there was no noise. And the way it was moving? There's no way a helicopter could have moved like that. That's about when I noticed it was flying right over top of me and getting closer. As it got closer, it felt like I was in a windstorm. Everything was blowing all over the place. Most of the sky was blotted out from my perspective. That's how close this thing was getting. Then the whole thing lit up, and I could finally make out the shape of it. The whole thing was like something from a bad sci-fi movie. It was round, rotating, 
lights all over it, and I couldn't figure out how the hell this thing was flying, but man, it was a UFO, an alien spacecraft. I'm sitting there, stunned, and all I can think about is that I'm not wearing a shirt. It's weird, you know, the things you think about when you're thinking you're about to die. Anyway, the center of this thing just opened up and a beam of light shined down on me. I felt my body getting lighter and lighter as the light pulled me up and into the ship. Everything went bright white and I lost consciousness. I don't know how much time passed, but when I woke up, I was totally naked, laying on a table in a large, round room. And I wasn't alone. They were about two feet shorter than me, lime green skin, big bulbous eyes, and sharp little teeth. They were speaking a language I couldn't even begin to understand. They were all dressed in white. I tried to move, but even though I didn't have anything holding me down, I couldn't move more than my fingers and toes, and I couldn't make a sound. These aliens, I'll call them what they were, they grabbed some tools and started opening me. It didn't hurt the way you think it would. There was a dull pain to the cuts, and when they put their hands in me, I could feel them moving my guts around. They pulled me apart, little by little, laying out every piece of me on a table. Stomach, intestines, lungs, heart, all of it. And all I could do was watch. I don't know how I was still alive. They started cutting into me with another tool, and whatever they did caused them to get sprayed with my blood. That's when I lost consciousness. I woke up in the same spot they picked me up in. The sun was out and it was sweltering. I wasn't burned, so they must have dropped me off only a few minutes before I woke up. I started taking stock of my situation. I was completely naked, but I still had my pack and an extra set of clothes. My other set was nowhere to be found. I looked down where they cut into me, and there was a massive bruise. Like... My whole left side was dark purple. On my stomach where they'd cut into me, there was a faint line of scar tissue on my skin. Almost too faint to see, but it was there. I'd show it to you now, but, you know, with the rot and everything, it sort of disappeared. Anyway, I got dressed and made my way to the road. I hitchhiked into a nearby town, called my parents and begged them to wire me some money to see a doctor. It took some convincing, but they sent me some cash and I went right to a doctor. The guy looks me up and down, runs an x-ray on me, checks my blood, and at the end of it all, he ruled that I got high, wandered around, and got hit by a car or something. The guy looked at me like a junkie, but I know what happened. The worst part is, I know they're still out there, those aliens. They could be watching us right now, and we'd never know. Well, that's my story. What'd you guys think? I agree with the doctor. You're a junkie who probably got hit by a vehicle or fell down some stairs. That whole event was clearly a hallucination, perhaps with a bit of sleep paralysis. Boo. Like your scary light story was any more believable. I know what I saw, and I saw it with a mind free of inebriating toxins. How do you expect me to believe such a story when you openly admitted to using mind-altering substances? I don't expect you to, and I don't care. How about you, Johnny? What do you think? The idea of someone or something rooting through my internal organs like a drawer full of loose objects is sickening to me. Right? But do you believe me? Well, I want to believe you, but Atlas does have a point. You've done a lot of chems, Crispy, and you've said some crazy stuff over the years. Aw, not you too, kid. Hello. Hey, at least Dave believes me. That's enough nonsense for the night.
I'm starting my watch. Get some sleep. We've got a long journey awaiting us. That we can agree on. Let's hit the hay, guys. And hey, Atlas, look out for any weird lights. <laughs> with this wind? Mm. Crispy? What's going on? Nothing, kid. Just looking for my jacket. Aha! Found it. Crispy? Go back to bed, Johnny. No. Crispy, look! Huh? Oh. My. God. Atlas, get over here! Dave, wake up. Johnny, help me grab Bucket. We gotta go. Ghoul! What did you do? Do you believe me now? Let's get out of here! Something's happening. Look up! finally awake. You were trying to cross the border, right? Walked right into that Imperial ambush, same as us, and that thief over there. Damned you, Stormcloaks. Skyrim was fine until you came along. Empire was nice and lazy. What in oblivion is happening? Where am I? Hey, shut up back there. <laughs> 